Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Kara. Marler, we're recording this on Tuesday. I had myself a lovely little weekend. Got to go out to uh, breakfast with a, a few listeners. Shout out to Emery, and Kelsey, Taylor, Laurel. Got to have a great time at First Watch. Got to go to a birthday party later in the day that had like a million little kids running around, which was terrifying in itself. But it was a gr- overall, it was a great weekend. And we were yeah. set to record on Monday. But you, my friend, did not have a good weekend for a couple hey, of reasons. I had a great weekend. I just did. The weekend didn't end well. It was like, fr- Allie's been sick for, I feel like, all of February. I don't know what's been going on. And she finally like, got rid of it. And it was like, she had something last week that we thought was strep. We couldn't really tell. And then, like, then like Saturday we had our engagement party, which was a ton of fun. Watched the fight. Um, watched, you know, college basketball kind of stuff had a great time with some of my best friends and then like the next morning i woke up i woke up at like 11 the next day i was like what in the world like i felt like just like a ton of bricks hit me like i like what is going on and and was tired like the entire day and found out and i went to bed at like 7 p.m sunday night yeah i was like what is going on and just felt awful i woke up and i think i have strep as well um so it just the more i talk the more i feel like my throat like closing up so i won't which is good news for most of our listeners. I won't. I won't be the, the talking one today. <laughs> so, um, that, but yeah, just that is why we weather here. Yeah, that's that's why we didn't record on Monday. If you saw the Facebook message, or if you saw the Twitter message, that's that's no. why this podcast is coming to you late. I know there were still a couple people that were like, "Oh, I don't know when they're going to record or whatever." Like, all right, apologize. Yeah, we have to the same we schedule. Uh, we we ha- I'll just I'll be on I'll be on that one. Um, in season, it was and always was, or it is and always was. Recording on Sunday, it would come out Sunday night or Monday morning, and then we would record on Wednesday, come out Wednesday night, uh, Thursday morning. Yeah. Off season, it's come out every Monday morning. It's Tuesday morning. One, Tuesday morning. That's what I meant. We record Monday, comes out every Tuesday morning, except for this one day, because yeah. I've been sick. So it's the same schedule as it always is. And potentially, if we want to sneak in um, an adjustment more, which we have settled on the game that we are doing, by the yeah. way. That is official. That is happening. We are going to record this Friday. I don't know when it is going to come out. That is TBD, but we'll announce that later. That's a little teaser for you in the business. Yeah, there you go. But I was saying, so we have a lot to get to today. Uh, We have an interview with your good buddy, Chuck Smith. That was awesome. He was was great. Got to talk about some of the TV stuff that you guys did as well. And he is all things pass rush. So talk some combine mm-hmm. stuff with him. We're going to talk about some people that we're going to be watching at the combine, some former SEC players, which uh, hopefully they're still working out. I mean, it just seems like nobody is Man. working out at the combine anymore. Um, but then we want to get to the NCAA's vote on this one-time transfer rule, which that happened after we recorded last week. So I wanted to hit on a couple points there. And there are some things that happen in the coaching world that are significant. But... One of those things that happened that was significant. This happened yesterday after we decided, after, I shouldn't say we, after you decided, doctors told you, you know what, shouldn't record today, probably not the best thing to do with a strep throat. We find out that Scott Cochran, the longtime (laughs) Alabama strength coach who has been there since Saban started at Alabama, is going to Georgia. And he's not going to Georgia to be the strength coach. For everybody out there who just kind of took that information and ran with it, didn't want to read another headline, he is going for an on-field role as the special teams coordinator, which, as we know, different kind of opportunity that he is being offered by Georgia and Kirby Smart. Hearing this news, 
I got to imagine it didn't make you all of a sudden feel better, especially when you got a million text messages like somebody yeah. died. So I had 96 texts when I woke up. Sick and like, brag. I, from Georgia fans, from Florida, I mean, from Bama fans, it was like, F me, F Scott Cochran, F Kirby. Like, this, like, that's not all from, like, that's not what they all said, but that was just, like, kind of, like, taking you through the gist of some of them. Um, yeah, and this whole thing, I don't, I, I was talking to Connor with it off air, I don't really care, and I think part of it's because I'm sick. And I, uh, to be honest, like, I, like I just, like this. It's February, and maybe mid-season Marler cares more about mid-season this. Mid-season Marler true. probably cares more about this. But this is also something, just to be a thousand percent honest with you guys, from someone I've talked to very close to the situation about this subject for months now. Oh, I know this who is, that is. Yeah, I, this is <laughs> nothing new. This is nothing that wasn't expected because this person has been asking for an on-field role. For, for multiple years now. And this is something that, that was, it's going to be hard to keep him on staff. He didn't want a, 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 a if, if you don't like, bump him up to an on-field role. But the question behind that was like, what on-field role? Like, what, for what? Like, there was what no spot available. Take? There was no right. spot available. And, Saban wasn't just going to all of a sudden fire one of his on-field right. staffers, which, as we know, those positions are hard to come by. They're very yeah. significant. And that's not saying Scott Cochran wasn't significant and that Saban wouldn't have bent over backwards to keep him. Lord knows yeah. he's been given raise sure after raise. But... Yeah. That's not something that all of a sudden you can just say no. to somebody that you've recently hired or somebody that you've had on right. staff for a couple years. Be like, no, you're fired. Scott Cochran is staying. But but and just so we're very clear on this because I've talked about this with with Connor and this is this is not need to be an us versus them thing at all. You're like this is that that is like that's what I don't want this to be. And like I I, I just what I also have a hard time with sometimes dealing with anything Bama related is finding the right voice or right narrative of trying to talk to you guys where it's not like he's being a Bama fan or he's just delivering his actual thoughts. And so I'm just trying to be open and candid with you guys about that. That being said, the the person that I've talked to close to the situation about this for a while is she. they brought it up flat out. They're like, you know, if this is, this is one of those things where it's just going to be as good as it can be for as long as it can be. But the moment when it starts to become you're not managing a staff and you're managing egos, that's when it's time to part ways, and that's what it kind of became to. That's what it kind of came to. And best of luck, man. Best of luck. You, you know what? If you if you ever hire a special teams coordinator from the University of Alabama, best of luck to you. Because that is. <laughs> there are a couple of things that need to be mentioned. There are obviously yeah. two sides to this. There is. The Bama side, which for for a Bama fan to all of a sudden find out in you know late February that hey you're losing Scott Cochran, a guy yeah. that former players have come out and said look this guy is the backbone mm-hmm. of the program he has been such in the a middle huge of the fourth part. quarter program yes exactly he has been such a huge part of the culture for those who don't know the role of a, of a strength coach strength coach as everyone says spends more time with players than head coaches uh-huh. which is incredible because they run the offseason workout program coaches aren't allowed to be at those yeah. programs. Scott Cochran going to Georgia, being poached by Kirby Smart, is significant in a couple ways. Yeah. It's significant in the way that Kirby Smart going out and saying, you know what, I've got an opening to fill. And this is an atypical move because going and hiring a strength coach to be your special teams coordinator, that comes with some risks. A special teams coordinator yeah. is important on a coach's staff. It's not just a throwaway position. With all due respect to the tight ends coach, but there are a couple more responsibilities that come with being the special teams coordinator that come with being the tight ends coach. And it's not just yeah. something where we're just going to do whatever we can to get you on staff. Scott Cochran is going to have a list of expectations that he is going to be asked to fulfill that are going to be totally new to him, that are going to be different than what he has done at Alabama. That part is a risk. 
But if you're Kirby Smart and you recognize the situation, somebody that he spent a lot of time with at Alabama, of course, Kirby's long time there working with and close with Scott Cochran, that ability to recognize, look, this is somebody who I know wants to be a head coach someday. And I have the ability to offer him something finally that Alabama can't. Scott Cochran wants to be a head coach? Wants to be a head coach. He wants to be head coach. He's 40 years old. He's still young enough yeah. in his career where it's, where it's a possibility. This was somebody who was working in the NBA as a strength coach before, yeah. he came to, before he came to Alabama. So Kirby Smart recognizes and says, look, this is 2015 all over again. When Kirby mm-hmm. took over at Georgia after the 2015 season, he tried to hire Scott Cochran on as the, Alabama, or as the Georgia strength coach. Scott Cochran's like, why? Why would I do that? Why would I leave Saban? Well, no, he Scott gets a Cochran raise. got a six hundred thousand dollars salary after that. So yeah, I wouldn't say he was going to turn it down. Well, right. So that 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 is something that Saban can play that card, and it was going to be able to work in his advantage. When Kirby plays this card, and he's able to for the first time, that that changes things because now Scott Cochran is at the point of his career where he he has decided, look, I'm looking for a new challenge, and as we know. Different people look for different challenges at different phases in their life, and Kirby mm-hmm. was able to recognize that need. So from that aspect, it's definitely significant oh, for Georgia. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's something I would. I, I'm, there's no part of me that's gonna praise Kirby for this move. Like, like, it's a great pickup for sure. I don't think this is something like, hey, we figured out something that no one else has. Which no, it just continues to poach from what he's learned. Like. From the the best that's done it. That's all it is. I, but like I, like, I give him credit for it being a little bit atypical, though, because going it's, out it's, and going yeah, out and hiring okay. a strength coach for that role is not something that you typically see, especially late in February when the coaching carousel is not spinning hundred miles an hour. I yeah, give but him if credit it's somebody for that. that's constantly complaining and constantly wants to have this like this ego met, and he's he's constantly becoming an issue where he is currently, then it's not that big of a deal because it, I I know like. If if I'm if I'm bitching and moaning about something and how I want I'm not getting enough of an opportunity, especially from a place that's paying me higher than any other strength coach I think in the, in the country, and has given you maybe not maybe I'm not right about that I don't care. But if, if he's <laughs> if he's paying he's being paid six hundred thousand dollars he got over a hundred thousand dollar raise the last time this happened. Then you get brand new facilities and all this kind of stuff. Like he's getting every single possible thing you you that you could ask for. And now it's like well now I want to be a coach now I want to be a head coach. It's like dude what the hell you've been a strength and conditioning coach for twelve years you were a strength and conditioning coach in the NBA as, as Connor told you as well. It kind of sounds like you're a strength and conditioning coach. So I, I'm sorry if we don't have time to groom you from being a special teams coach, which let me also say, to be fair, if he couldn't be a special team coach, teams coach at Bama, I don't know where he couldn't have been. I don't know another place that he the bar could have been set lower. Like Just to be fair. But but the same thing, it's like, dude, like we we gave that guy everything. It's, it, it reminds me, to be honest, it reminds me a lot of the Jimbo whining at Florida State where he's like, dude, we, you know, we don't, we need – uh, like I, I need staff. I need raises for my staff. It's like we just gave you. We just gave you a raise. We just gave you to sit over six hundred thousand dollars a year. You were making like a hundred when you first started twelve years ago. Now you're getting over six hundred thousand. On top of that, we got you a brand new state of the art facility, and then they redid that again. And it's just like, what else could you want? Like what? what else? And so of course Kirby plays the white knight. And and here's why I don't want to bring it up is like. Man, Kirby's a hero because he gave this guy a shot. No, Kirby would go into he would go into Tuscaloosa, go to Jack's and get like a bologna biscuit, and then go to go take that to Athens and serve it as like a five course meal. And be like, you know what? Look how great and beautiful this is now. That's what Kirby's doing. He's taking everything he can from from the program he knows that's done it right for the last twelve years, yep. and 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 building that in Georgia. And that's not anything wrong. Like that's not me being like salty or whatever Twitter has said about it. Like that's just that's just stating a fact of what it is. Because I tell you what, in my opinion, 
and what Kirby knows, what Kirby knows how to win championships is this. I think when, when you look at Nick Saban, Nick Saban has built up, all right, I have all these great coaches, I have all these great recruiters, and I've built up all these great recruits. And you could say that Saban's won national championships because he's had the, he's had the best players. Fine. Like, I'm sure he's been outcoached at some point in his career. The biggest question mark for me for Kirby Smart to this day is, is he a good enough in-game coach to yeah. go win you a national championship? Is he smart enough? And listen, hear me out on this. Is he smart enough to not fake a punt on fourth and 11 when you have a tie game? Yeah, well, no, I'm just saying. Is it because it's, he, he's routinely done stu- – is he smart enough to not run a fourth and one jet sweep with Isaiah McKenzie instead of when you have Nick Chubb on your team? Is is that is that fair to say? Is he Has he gone over that hump? And the best way to to not magnify all of his flaws – I don't even know how I have strep throat right now. I feel on fire. <laughs> yeah. So, like – but like it, the magnif- not to magnify those flaws is to get as many other big key pieces around you and other good coaches around you to bring in all this five star talent and do the job for you. Because I tell you what, we've seen we've seen both of these guys in big game coaching situations before. We've seen them both coach in the national championship game, and I can tell you firsthand, and I think you guys can too if you be honest about it. One of those coaches has stood out in a positive way, and one of them stood out in a negative way. And I think this is just another grab of trying to find as many ways as possible so it doesn't have to fall on Kirby in in a positive way. I think that if you're Kirby, though, this was a pivotal... I've said this so many times. This is a pivotal offseason for him. This was so yeah. important because all the turnover that he was going to have, not just the nine starters on, on offense, but losing Sam Pittman, your ace recruiter, being, being able to, to replace him and bring in somebody like Matt Luke, who has a lot of energy, deciding, Luke? you know what, James Coley running that back. I'm talking about Matt Luke. I'm talking about Matt Luke. Running it back with James Coley was not going to be a good idea. And right. after a month of wondering, is he going to actually do this? He goes out and he, hi- he goes in a completely different direction. He brings in Todd Munkin. And with this, this is an atypical move for a traditional head coach. Now, mm-hmm. it, I get that it is more typical because it is Alabama. He is trying to follow the Alabama model point. to success. Yeah. But it is still an atypical move nonetheless. Now, just because Kirby is going and doing something like this and he is getting something that obviously was of value to Alabama doesn't necessarily mean that Georgia has the missing piece to all of a sudden beat Alabama. I'm not going right. to come out here and say that. At the same time, like... I've, there are people that were throwing out the you know the dynasty is dead thing and like <laughs> we did our own website did that and that was one of the most defeating no, was, things I've, it wasn't it wasn't our specific opinion it was that we we did a story a, a news uh-huh. story let me explain that it was a news story yeah. that that had that quote tweeted basically people that were saying this so it was saying okay. like is the dynasty dead people have interesting reactions on social media to this like that's, that's just... that was the point of, I, I and i didn't write the news story i'm not saying that i yeah that i that i would have phrased it that way but that was the intent so here's here's what i think is 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 worth bringing up in all of this Kirby now is looking at his team in a different way, and he's not being quite as stubborn as what he was a couple years ago. I'm not yeah, saying not that this, it is, this is still going to come back to him, though. Like, how is Kirby not going to take fault if Kirby isn't able to win with these pieces? Right, but and I'm saying he's still... got all these other pieces beforehand. It was like, I'm still running the show. I'm doing this. No, I think Kirby knows that, like, I can't do this on my own. I need I need this piece this piece. I need as many pieces in place as possible to help me get where I can be because I can't do it on my own. I think he's figuring out some things about just being a head coach. Like I, I think that that's part yeah. of this, and he's figuring out. Look, I need to still develop my own style. I can't copy every single thing that Saban did, and I think that oh. there are certain moves. Yeah. I think that there are certain moves that he has made that shows, like, look, he's willing to sort of adapt and try kind of change some of his philosophies, and deciding yeah. that ultimately at the root of all of this 
is I think getting smashed in the face by LSU in that SEC yeah. championship where you're looking up and it's not just oh a play here or there against Alabama is preventing us from getting to our ultimate destination it's looking up at the scoreboard and realizing holy crap this is a team that should have been competing for a national championship. That's what a team competing for a national championship should look like. And we are not at that level. And I think that is at the root yeah. of some of these decisions. And I think this is one of them where Kirby has decided, I want to bring more energy into the building. I want to be able to, to bring in a different kind of perspective. And I think that's at the root of all this. Yeah. It, it, and so just to sum all this up, there's no part of me that's saying that this is not a great pickup by Kirby. I, like it's, it's, it is. I, I think it's a great move, all that kind of stuff. What I'm what I'm merely trying to say is, let's not, like, you know, I'm trying to think of the the phrase, this old Southern phrase, and I can't remember because I'm too tired. But um, it just like just don't just not dress it up more than it needs to be. Like you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I'm trying to say. Like you can't you can't bring in literally a bologna biscuit and tell me it's a five star cuisine. Like, like and I'm not saying that Scott Cochran is not a five star coach or whatever you want to say, but I'm just saying like you keep raiding and pillaging whatever's in Tuscaloosa bringing it to, to Alabama. And listen, and that's, that's fine. That's a great move. But what I hope ends from all this, because you, you said this, like, you know, I think this is a pivotal offseason. And, it, you know, he, he realized this offseason, like, if he needs to get where he wants to go, I'm not saying that this isn't the, the move that, that gets him where to go or that doesn't get him where to go. I'm not even saying, and I, I still firmly believe this, and I've said it all offseason, that I thought that they were going to turn the corner before this move was even made. Right, right. Like this, like so. Before we get all mad about the saltiness and all that kind of crap, keep in mind that that is like still still in play. Like I've been saying this all offseason. I think that this is the year that Georgia does turn that corner with or without Scott Cochran. What I get tired of seeing is, and this is just purely the, the social media part. And I will I will just throw this out there before we leave. Oh boy, is all of the stuff about the saltiness and rent free and all this other dumb BS like. I'll just shoot it to you straight, guys. I I still think Georgia wins the national championship this year. I've said. Oh, it. Oh, you're going I've back said, on record. Oh, you you backed I've off. Said it, first. I've said it the whole time. No, but you backed because you, you backed off it. There was a a back off when I think it was. Oh, who was it? There was there was Bryce one Young. move that triggered it. It might have been the was it Jake Fromm going to the NFL? That could. Oh uh, yeah, well they did lose nine of ten. Either way, either way, here's what I'm gonna say. I still think that I th- I still think this is the year that Georgia can turn the corner of that because that defense is gonna be ridiculous. Best in the country. But, but until that happens, spare yourselves all the rent-free crap and saying all this. Dude, you don't get to talk rent-free when you've been owned by that other team for over a decade. Let me be clear when I say it. I'll say it one more time. You don't get to say rent-free when you've been owned by that other team for a decade. Here week, ended the lesson. Week three. I think that's going to be uh, significant. Significant part of the 2020 schedule. Uh, certain I've never Georgia seen. I've Alabama. never seen Bama beat. I've never seen Bama beat Georgia and Tuscaloosa. I've never been for, there for a game like that. There it is. Because crazy, this is huh? because this is a Bama podcast. We have another Bama thing. Oh to talk yeah, about. here yeah. we go. Um, this was what I was originally going to lead with, and it's ironic because on Monday, you know, I'm, I'm was writing some stuff about Sarkeesian and turning down the Colorado job, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm pointing to all these things about how Bama is. You know, going to return, barring something unforeseen this offseason, Bama is going to return both its offensive and defensive coordinator for the first time since 2015. That we Sark, found out. I think Sark goes to Georgia to be the strength and conditioning coach. I, you know, four years ago, that wouldn't have sounded that crazy. But now I'd say he's probably done enough for himself. Sark ultimately turns down the job at Colorado, which looked like it could have been his easily if he had wanted it. And I thought that it was trending in that direction. We found that out uh, early in the weekend. Colorado ultimately hires Carl Durrell, 
who was the Miami Dolphins receivers what coach. If, raise your hand if you thought he was getting a Power 5 head coaching job. Well, uh, he already had one, and he did very poorly. UCLA, he was mediocre. He was mediocre at UCLA. We'll, we'll yeah. call it what it is. But um, the interesting thing with, with Sarkeesian now is he is going to return to year two is not just how much perspective... Uh, well, perception, I should say, has changed with him in a year's time when last year, as we talked about, he's this guy who's questioned because he was fired from the Falcons and everybody's like, oh, it's going to be a repeat of the 2016 National Championship. We're in trouble. And then all he did was go out and improve Alabama's offense. The why is the interesting part. Why did Sark, who has worked his tail off, to be able to earn another Power 5 head coaching opportunity. You would think at this point in his career, if there was interest, if he went out and interviewed for that and he was linked to the Mississippi State opening as well, what ultimately brought him back to Alabama? And I think it, you know the everybody that talks about the Cochran thing, and I know our guy Adam Spencer threw out the tweet about, oh, it looks like Saban can't keep assistance. The Cochran thing is not that. That was, that was not the, that. one of the dumbest. I love Adam to death, but that was so stupid and short-sighted when he wrote that because it was like, no wonder he, he – hold on, let's speak to this real quick. Oh, because Cochran important. couldn't speak I, to the players. Yeah, I do want to speak to this for a point. And, and I am going to get fired up about this, and I'll defend Coach Saban, because because of, if nothing other, than the person that I do speak with that is close to the situation as like a source on this, okay? And that is this. Anybody that's made this dumbass comment about how, oh, that, no wonder these these, play, these assistants want to leave so much. First off, the assistants rarely leave. You point, you tell me an assistant that's left to make a lateral move from Nick Saban's, Nick Saban's coaching tree. First off. Second, I'm sure there's one, but you tell me like consistent, consistently, they rarely jump. It's like, oh, I couldn't stand it there anymore. No, you go get another head coaching job somewhere else. Lane Kiffin, Brian Dabble, you get to go back to the NFL and be an offensive coordinator. Like, like yeah, get the, the out of here. The Danny knows like, things a little bit. That was it. Yeah. Excuse my language, but <laughs> blank Danny knows. All right, we got to tell Will. We'll that tell part. Will. Mark that down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Danny knows that whole thing about Danny knows like leaving. That was weird. But when this whole thing about how like, well, he wouldn't even let his him say goodbye to his players, the last time this happened, the coach who went to Georgia and is also poaching this certain coach, one thousand percent took a screen or took a picture on his phone of the recruiting board and then sent that out to other recruits. And now the the fan base of his current university, Georgia fans, they will love to applaud that and be like, this is a great move. It's you know that's how it is nowadays. It's savage. It's Kirby, but like what? Fine, whatever. But in the same breath, you don't get to also be the judgmental team. People be like, it's unbelievable. He wouldn't let him speak to the the team and go back in there. Like no, when when that kind of person, and and you say what you want to about how like it's it's business or whatever. But when that kind of person does that and 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 kind of breaks that code after what you've done for them for nine years, and then you want, you know, you're not gonna re like fool me once, shame 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 on you. Can't fool me twice, can't get fooled again. Right, George Bush? There we go. Moving on. You know what it reminds me of is Charles Minor not letting Michael Scott speak to his employees when he was about to start Michael Scott Paper Company. Same yeah. exact situation. Very, very it's similar. The, it's the exact same. You're right. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Sark, um, because him staying at Alabama, the reason why, and he got a raise, and I think that was part of that, but... In all likelihood here, barring something absolutely crazy, he would have made more money at Colorado. He would have made more money at Mississippi State. Why did Sark ultimately return to Alabama? Call me crazy. There are a couple of reasons here, a couple different things. Yeah, this would have been his seventh different 
head head or would have been in seventh different coaching position since 2013 if you include the time that he spent at Washington if you include going from an offensive analyst to an offensive coordinator for the one game at Alabama that would have been his fourth different time zone to live in had he accepted the Colorado job all of those different things but I got to think that Bryce Young's got something to do with this I really yep. really do and I think that Sark having not developed a quarterback as an offensive minded guy Hasn't developed a quarterback since 2014, Cody Kessler, probably. That was probably yeah. the last time that he really felt like he developed a quarterback, and he didn't even get to see that through because he was only there for a year plus and then left in the right. middle of his second season. I think that there is this desire, given the relationship there, given the fact that he's known him since middle school or whatever, and he's been recruiting him forever, I think he legitimately wants to see this through a little bit. And I'm not saying that that means that Sark is automatically going to stay at Alabama for the next three years until Bryce Young goes to the NFL. Let's let the kid play college down first. But here's how I think it actually matters. If Sark is saying, you know what, I need to see this. I, I, I have this urgency. I have this, this thing in the back of my mind that's just telling me this kid is going to be special. I want to be there. I want to be the reason he is special. I think that that all of a sudden expedites the Bryce Young thing even more. And I have been very vocal in saying I think Mac Jones is going to be the guy week one. I think what he did at the end of this past season against Michigan, against Auburn, is going to help him in that regard. But I can't help but think that Steve Sarkeesian, the thought of just getting to coach up Bryce Young this year and then maybe take a Power 5 job next year, the year after that, had to be really, really attractive to him. You know, the other part of it I think that's uh, a big deal, and I, I, I'm going to take the Bama part out of it, is the fact that what we're not mentioning is the same thing that we were mentioning with Mel Tucker, and that's the fact that the Pac-12 and the, and the Colorado job in general maybe aren't as uh, alluring as we thought they were before. I mean, because this couldn't be a better setup for Sark. I mean, he coached at Washington and Southern Cal. Yep. He's very familiar with the terrain. He's, He's a West Coast guy. recruiting landscape. Yep. He's a West Coast guy. Again, I know you hate this argument, but, like, would you rather live in Boulder or Tuscaloosa? I would rather live in Boulder. That Jack's Bologna Biscuit, I know I, I threw some shade at it earlier. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, just, I just, God, the thing starts with mayonnaise. It's disgusting. Um, anyway, but no, the thing with Sark, I think him leaving, it just shows a lot what the Pac-12 is, is like meant to do, or not meant to do, what the Pac-12 is uh, has become lately. Yeah. And that is, um, you know, like just a, a less than conference and an afterthought, I think, with most Power 5 conferences. So the other part of this and Man. I've talked about this a little bit, so I don't want to get too deep into this, but Brett Bielema. Poor, poor Burt, man. Poor Burt. Strength and conditioning coach at Bama. <laughs> you know what you got to do? You want to lift and you get your bacon intake. <laughs> poor Burt. Interviewed for the job, and all of a sudden, you know, we're here in the middle of last week. Oh, Brett Bielema, it sounds like he's going to be one of the two finalists for this job. And then we hear later in the week, oh, actually, just like what happened at Michigan State, they are going to reset the search because they ultimately decided, ah, Brett Bielema, that's, that's not what we want to go to. Brett Bielema is the cans of tuna that you've got sitting in the pantry. Oh, gross. When you're hungry on Saturday night and you're thinking to yourself, I've got those leftovers in the fridge, I've got a couple of things in the pantry that maybe I could whip up, but nothing is really getting me that excited. I don't want to have that can of tuna that's in the, that's in the pantry. I know it's there. It's edible. It's fine. Yeah. I can have it and it'd be okay, but it doesn't get me excited about eating dinner. That is how Brett Bielema has been treated by Colorado. That is how he was treated by Michigan State. And I can't help but think yeah. that at this point in his career, where now he's going into year three away from the from the Power 5 head coaching game, 
Brett Bielema's days as a Power 5 head coach are done. They just, I, I, I don't think know they about are. that. I'll, what situation is going to make sense for him to get a Power 5 job again? Different than Group of 5, but I don't think he's going to be willing to go that route with all the grind that it takes and all the money that he already has. What Power 5 job can legitimately make sense for him, given how many favorable situations he's had? I don't know. We can go back to, we'll just wait till Illinois fires Levy Smith or go back to, I don't know. There's There's got to be a Big Ten job for him. He can go, he can go somewhere. He can go somewhere. He can go to Vanderbilt. I can he? I don't know. So here's here's my thing. The only reason I think I bring this up when this is a perfect example you brought up because one time when I was really little, I had to go sit with my dad for like three days, and it was the worst. And he like he like had to make my lunch. It's like I was like second grade, and he like had to make my lunch. And I hate tuna more than anything. Like, oh, I love tuna. Tuna's good. I'm sure you do. Tuna's terrible. Hater. And like 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 sashimi tuna is fantastic. I'm just too fancy for this uh, white trash. Yes, he was trying to get yeah. So he was like trying to give me like like tuna sandwich, and I was like. Ugh, like I took like one bite of it, spit it out, like couldn't. But I didn't know how to tell my dad how gross that was to me because I like didn't want to say anything. So I kept bringing home my lunch box the next day, and he's like, he's like, he's like, that your lunch box smells. I'm like, it's fine, everything's fine. I'm just gonna <laughs> buy my lunch at school. And he's like, he's like, it smells really bad. Like, is there something in that? I'm like, I don't know. And I just had, because I, I just like after day one, I just like left my my lunchbox at school. I was like, I'll just forget it. That way, he has to give me money. I can buy my lunch at school, whatever. I bring it home the third day. It's when it smells so bad. And he's like, he's like, it smells really bad. I'm like, I, it's, I'm sure it's fine. It's nothing. Opens it up and like three day old tuna sandwiches. Oh. In there. It was the worst. I had to get a new lunchbox after that. But yeah, that's a very good way to put Brett Bielema. But that's that's um, the thing though is that it, they're like buying lunch that day. That was not the financially responsible thing to do, but you're like, ah, you know oh, yeah. what? This excites me way more, and that's that's kind of how Colorado. And not to say that Carl Durrell is, yeah. you know, a much more expensive hire, but definitely at Michigan State, where Michigan State was like, let's just overpay Mel Tucker instead of hiring Brett Yeah, Bielema. a lot. That's so. That's the weird thing. Like he had the opportunities at Kansas. He had the opportunity at Kansas State. He was even a backup option at Nebraska. Had they whiffed on mm-hmm. Scott Frost, but that ultimately didn't happen. But and at Kansas, he had Jeff Long. He had the guy who hired him at Arkansas, and he's like, "Nah, we're gonna go with Les Miles instead." Yeah. Like that—that that to me, and Les Miles is another good example of that. Where like Bilama and Miles are both—they both suffered from looking like they ran outdated systems, and it hurt them. It hurt, it hurt them in the coaching market to be able to say, "Look, like you're not this young offensive mind. You're not even Cliff Kingsbury. Even Cliff Kingsbury, when he's fired at Texas Tech, Arizona Cardinals look at him. They're like, "Hey, well, you've got this modern system, and we can get on board with that." And he practically gets a promo- he basically gets a promotion yeah. because of it. So it's just it's different. And I I like Brett Bielema. I actually think he's a pretty decent coach. I think he could have success in a variety of places. He could have success in the Big Ten. I I think that's absolutely the case. But will he get another job given the money that's being thrown around to these head coaches and that's available now? I don't think it's happening at the Power Five level. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, that was enough Brett talk for today. There's never uh, enough Brett talk. The NCAA has announced that it is going to vote on the one-time transfer rule. That is happening this spring. The Big Ten had this proposed rule back in October. Jim Harbaugh was apparently the guy that was behind all of that. Shout out to Harbaugh. And then the ACC actually came out and backed it last week as well. And then the NCAA is like, well, this is kind of getting enough momentum. We should probably do something. Didn't hear anything from the SEC, though, which is interesting, despite my attempts to you know, reach out to, to yeah. SEC communications staff and say, hey, what does Greg Sankey think about all this? Didn't hear any response about all that. But um, some people are very much in support of this. We are, I think, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of you, more in support of this than we are against it. There are still, though, people like Mark Rick who have come out and ripped this. Mark Richt, when he's not tweeting out, oh, Marler's dying. Um, 
when Mark Richt is not tweeting out pictures of his gross hot dog with beans and ketchup, whatever that was the, heck the heck worst. That was. He's like, uh, "Oh, it's my birthday. You know, I love, I love me some chili dog birthday food." Like, what are you doing right now, bro? Speaking of tuna in the pantry, that is all I can think of is like thoughts and prayers out to Mark Richt because something's not right at home. That's goodness. Happening. So Mark Richt, I actually got bumped on Fine Bomb an hour because Mark Richt um, responded at the last minute, and they're like, "Hey, come on at four thirty. and then I got bumped to five. Connor, I've been bumped on Fine Bomb for two years so i don't, I don't even care <laughs> um mark rick basically said that the danger of what this one-time transfer rule could do for allowing players to not have to sit out a year upon transferring as undergrads would be okay you're essentially allowing group of five programs to be a a farm system for these big time programs and what happens if you know Joe West blows up at Kent State and he looks like a stud as a true freshman, then all it takes is Alabama going to Kent State and saying, hey, go play for us next year. Like, we didn't realize you were this good as a recruit. Can that happen? Yes, absolutely. Like, that can happen. College football, though, has always been capitalism. And it still is capitalism. And to me, those situations are somewhat rare where – you're going to see a group of five freshmen do enough or a sophomore do enough to show, look, this this kid needs to be playing at the, at the at the Power Five level at a big-time school. And you know what? If they do that, congratulations. Good for them for, for earning that opportunity and doing that as an underclassman and right. showing, look, maybe maybe we weren't valued correctly as true freshmen or you know as a recruit. So I think that that sort of is worth bringing up with all this because I know that there is still some opposition from a lot of coaches like Mark Rick. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, so my issue with it is I, I think that's a very interesting point because you are going to find stuff like that. Like, and, and you look around the SEC, like guys like Lawrence Cager, who had the time at Miami and then became he became the number one guy at UGA. Grad transfer. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, that kind of stuff. He has a big, big year and wants to leave. Like, this would have been the same situation two years ago. Like, he was a grad transfer, yeah. But, like, I'm, I'm saying, like these, like, these guys that had these big – Big years at other schools and want to come to the SEC as the, as former three star recruits that were kind of overlooked. Now they have a chance to come do that. Like Garrick Dieter, the white kid from Bama, he was like the Julian Edelman type thing. I'm assuming, right? Because he's white and played in the slot. Uh, that that whole thing. I'm saying like he played it like Miami, not Miami, Ohio, but he played it like Bowling Green or something like that beforehand. Like these smaller schools where they're not having as much of a look, but then like you said, they have these like huge. What about a guy like Jordan Love? Like a guy like Jordan yeah. Love being able to that that kind of thing is what worries me because then I think it becomes more so a situation where you have like um, like like college baseball in in terms of all right here's a guy that like blew up in junior college and now he can just go to the draft and and go right you know right away get picked up and and like once he's or or go D one because you don't have to wait for two years. So I don't know. I think it's I don't think it's that that big of a deal because if you're only allowing it once, I think that. They're, you're going to have some right. kids that abuse the system, but we have other kids that have done it this year. Like, like one of the poster childs for this about getting away with it, not having a real reason to transfer is Tate Martell, and he's been an afterthought because he wasn't that good in the first place. Yeah, he got immediate eligibility into the Thomas Mars thing. And what the NCAA basically came out and said is, look, our process has been strained. We didn't yeah. think that they, of course, the NCAA did not anticipate it becoming this, this big deal. Yeah, I know, stunning. So they had they had issues with not being able to get around all these cases, apparently. And, you know, guys like Aubrey Solomon, who you know Tennessee fans are waiting up until the you know 
by the, the the first week of the season, right before the first week of the season, to find out, look, is this kid going to play or not? Apologies, by the way, if you can hear spraying in the background right now. They're currently yeah, they're currently painting our our place, and they are spraying like literally right outside my window. Better than yesterday, though, when they were power washing in the first part of the day. If you ever want to scare a pet, have somebody power wash your entire building. It's a great great experience. Um, I think no. that's the oldest thing about me is that I, I'll pass stuff all the time now. And I'm like, God, that needs to be pressure washed so bad. Yeah. Oh, uh, we, we passed we passed by like Ted Turner Field the other day. I was like, God, that needs to be pressure washed so bad. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is pretty obnoxious, though. It is. It is very obnoxious. So apologies. Stick stick with me um, through all of this this paint that is going on right now. But um, I do want to say with with transfers and this one time deal, the hope is that it's going to sort of control the transfer portal and that you're not going to all of a sudden have people going in there all the time. If you can only go in there once to get the immediate eligibility as an undergrad, maybe it'll change things and maybe right. just maybe we're going to have a little bit more of a fair system because people are wondering, well, you know, we didn't need to do this 20 years ago and kids didn't want to transfer left and right the problem is and what the ncaa is finally acknowledging is that the root of a lot of transfers is coaches who leave and go to other jobs when there's situations like mel tucker where mel tucker all of a sudden gets double the salary at a same power five school when you know coaches have less of a reason to stick around for five six years and as you know athletic directors also have quicker triggers to say we're gonna just we're gonna cut bait and we're gonna pay you know eight figure buyouts and all that stuff so like that is expediting the transfer process and kids want to transfer more than ever and yeah you can say all the time transfer or you know commit to a school and not a coach but you know if you're going to a school that plays a triple option offense and then they bring in somebody that runs the air raid yeah like you're going to want to leave and you're you're not going to want to be punished and waste a year of your athletic prime just because the ncaa says you should i agree with that Okay. I have nothing else to say on it. That was good. Um, that was, <laughs> and that was us on on uh, on transferring. So, um, speaking of absolutely nothing, that says nothing to do with transferring. Um, this has everything to do with the NFL Combine, which is kind of going on right now as we're uh, a lot of hand measurements coming in. Um, getting a lot of hand yeah, measurements. Thoughts and prayers to Joe Burrow for small hands. Dang, what a career! Um, yeah, what a career! It's just over now. Oh, it's too bad. Uh, yeah, we, we were. This is actually kind of funny. So we had to do like I don't think this is weird for our listeners. I think a lot of people do this. This isn't a bad thing. And now I'm now I'm like backtracking on it. But uh, like we we're doing like the premarital like counseling thing. Like you do like right before you get married. Right. Like right. Like so we went to that today. And we're just like talking about this and that. And we're talking about, like you know what's something like you guys should do more. Of? I was like oh we should do more quality time together. And so I was like. <laughs> We're going through the days of the week. This is so awful. She's like, well, when's a good day for quality time? And I was like, well, Monday's The Bachelor. Tuesday, Wednesday is, is basketball. Bachelor is quality time. I was like, Thursday, maybe Thursday would be good. And yeah, not if you watch it like I do. And so Thursday, it was like, uh, maybe Thursday would be good. I was like, all right, yeah. And then she like we like we decided we'd do Thursday. would be like date night. And then I was like, shoot. NFL Combine starts Thursday night. Yep. Because this should, they're doing, oh, the, they're doing the stuff in prime time. Well, they do it in prime time. Yeah, I guess I guess technically it does start Thursday. Yeah, it's later, and they're not doing it during the day. Okay, that is a fair point. Yeah. That's a fair point. So the NFL Combine is ruining, is ruining your premarital counseling, yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's the worst. Uh, blame the Combine for that. Five SEC players that I've got my eye on. And you know what? Some of these guys, maybe they're not going to do all the drills, but hopefully they're at least doing some of them, and they're not going to be totally absent from all physical activity in Indianapolis this week. But the big thing that people are talking about coming into the combine, the 40-yard dash of a certain Henry Ruggs. It's been talked about a lot. Yeah, you've already crapped on all this, haven't you? I didn't crap on it. What are you talking about? No, I said... I'm surprised he doesn't run a 4-3. No, I've said, like, 
I, I don't think that should hurt him. I think that's ridiculous if 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 he disappoints by his very very high standards, which people have predicted that Jalen Waddle came out and predicted that he was going to tie John Ross's four two two. If he for whatever reason doesn't run in the four twos, I don't think it should hurt his draft stock. I realize it's going to hurt him in you know public perception and the way that people talk about him. But like right. turn turn on the tape, dude can flat out jet. I mean he runs away from from cornerbacks. Everyone. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. So uh, he is a four to one favorite according to the sports betting dime to run the fastest forty. Daniel Jeremiah said that he would not take the field over rugs. And that he's yeah. like Tyreek Hill potentially if he goes to the right system. He he legit he legit had they, they there was a video that came out this other day and it wasn't super close but I, so we know how fast Waddle is right. Dude can jet slippery like, but he can yeah. jet. So I remember I mean this this camp last year um, in the strength conditioning program which is often confused for uh, special teams uh, workouts but. Um, during the strength conditioning offseason workouts, they had they they like Waddle and, and Ruggs said they were going to line up and run the forty next to each other and see who would run fast. They'd run it they ran it separately for their junior day or for Ruggs' junior day and Ruggs ran a four two four and Waddle ran a four two five and then they ran next to each other and it was like like nose to nose like you know it was, it was pretty impressive. Ruggs gonna be the fastest person in Indy and he's gonna probably run. I think I don't think four two two sounds stupid. How do you break that? I, I think he no runs idea. a four two five and that's it. Fastest SEC 40 times since 2006, which is as far back yeah, as the NFL archives go to, because that's not including some of the other ones that are a little bit Bo more Bo Jackson ran a 3-8. <laughs> People don't forget. <laughs> Zedrick Woods at Ole Miss last year ran a 4-2-9. Zedrick Woods, who's that, you ask? He actually retired from football before even going into the NFL officially. Oh. Um, he's the only SEC player to run in the 4-2 since 2006. The fastest Bama 40 time during that same stretch is actually Julio at 4.34 back in 2011. Are you sure? Yeah. Looked it up. Looked up all this stuff. Um, and that's and we're talking official 40 times and what yeah. you know what's what's officially listed on NFL.com, all those things. Um, I, I really would hate for, for Ruggs to get knocked for not running like a 4.22 or something Maybe like that. Maybe you should have knocked him then. I, mean, I didn't. When did I knock him? <laughs> I didn't knock him at all. Um, okay. All right. Another 40 that's going to be watched very, very closely by a lot of people looking for a receiver in the NFL draft, Mr. Justin Jefferson, the former LSU star, has a lot of pressure on this 40-yard dash. He knows that. His speed his speed coach, Mo Wells, knows that. He told me back at IMG a couple weeks ago that the expectation is that Justin Jefferson is going to run in the mid-4.5s to high-4.5s, and the goal, obviously, is to be able to run better than that. If he runs in the 4.4s, I think a lot more people are going to be talking about Justin Jefferson as a potential first-round guy. He's kind of considered borderline right now for that. But I, I kind of wonder with Justin Jefferson, like, would we be talking about him much differently right now if he was a four-star recruit? And if there wasn't that question about his athleticism coming into college, despite all the all the stuff that he's done the last two years, like, there are still people wondering just how athletic he is and if he really has that straight-line speed when... Like you line that dude up anywhere, and he beats people one on one all day. So I don't really right. get that as much. But he's not Rugs. I mean, I'm not saying that he's not going to run the same forty that Rugs does. But like, I think that he's going to impress a lot of people. I will be watching Justin Jefferson closely for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I just I think that you know the one I think that's going to be interesting is I'm not sure if he's even running it is Judy is is how he's going to look because that's been one knock on him is people I think that he's he's not going to run that fast. The one I really am looking forward to as well. Is uh, Piran from uh, Hello, Michael Piran, yeah, from Florida because he's not yeah, fast exactly. enough to play at Auburn, right? 
Well, and I so remember last year we had with Holyfield and Holyfield ran like he honestly he might still be running that forty because that was yikes that was a that I mean that looked like something me and you would do in the off season is running that 40. well me not you um, yeah that's fair four eight one was uh, that's not great um, but I mean so I'm trying to think of who else would have been coming into this season because because like it's just riddled with like I'd say what I want to see more than anything is when I, I see. The the strength and conditioning, not strength and conditioning, the strength part of it when they do the uh, what do you call it, the uh, the, the two twenty five bench. I want to see if any of the SEC guys like show up big in that because what we end up seeing a lot and especially at Bama is a lot of times those guys that you have these big, especially these offensive linemen, they only get like seventeen reps up on the bench, and then there's that whole knock on them. It's like well they've been used their entire their career is like already been used up, and they got all these injuries coming like you know from from their strength and conditioning program going into the to the uh, NFL draft. That's something that's been that's been a, a lot of it's been on a lot of people's radar for a long time. I bet not a lot of people bench. Just a just a yeah, hunch. Based on the way that people have been skeptical about the combine and stuff. And there have been injuries in the bench press in the last couple of years. Like guys pulling packs and, you know, straining soldier shoulders yeah, that, and stuff like that. Like I, I feel like there are I know that there are hamstring injuries that happen with the forty, but I feel like I hear about more injuries in the bench yeah. than any other event. It would take me one one negative comment while I was trying to bench press to ruin that entire thing for me because because you got to think they're doing it, like their hands are super in close and they're like drop and like you know a lot of those guys I feel like are doing it like in front of, in their own weight room where they're like dropping and like getting getting a little bit of like momentum from that and then when they do it in the in the actual combine like they don't count all the reps if they're not like perfect yeah, and I feel like it would take. It would take one comment for like that. It's like he's arching his back, and I'd be like, "Done, I quit." You're arching your back, and then storm out. How many two twenty five could you get right now? None. Right. I could get, I could get three. Three. Get, there's no way I get more than that. I don't want to. All right. Yeah. I like lifting. Like lifting. I don't, Connor. I'm thirty three. I don't give a. Sh- I, you know, I'll say it real blanket. I don't give a anymore. Like I'm getting married. Like I'm just trying to get in shape to where I'm like skinny again. Like, I don't care about benching. 225 however many times well, as we talked about with chuck smith i'm trying to make an nfl roster so our, yeah our heads are <laughs> yeah, different our heads are in very different places um another guy our guy lynn bowden our adopted son yeah he uh he's not running the 40 unfortunately um he's gonna run it at the pro day which is a bummer big time bummer but the weird thing was he measured in at 510 and a half or 510 and 5 eighths, whatever it was uh which in my opinion makes his year that much better and what he yeah. was able to do, because he's listed at six one at Kentucky. I, I knew he wasn't quite six one, but five ten and a half is 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 not very tall at all. No. Um, and he was even smaller than than we realized, which makes it all the more impressive. Um, so he said that he would work out anywhere, that he would even work out at defensive end, which is incredible because you know yeah. Lynn Bowden is is just the man. You just stick him on the football field and you just watch him go. Maybe he'll just work out at every position group just for the fun of it. Why not? That'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, can he show that he's still a crisp route runner? Is you know, I, I think that there are still some questions about that because when you make the sacrifices that he does, there's just not as much film on him as a receiver. Yes, he had the 2018 season, but there are still going to be questions about how he looks in that regard as well. Pro Football Focus did a great breakdown of why he's just a second-round talent that you can do a lot of different things. Anything he'd be, with. He'd be fun to, to be in like Kyle Shanahan system and used yeah. in a Debo Samuel-type role or something like that. I think there'd be a lot of people willing to take a chance on him to do that. Interesting draft prospect, C.J. O'Grady, the Arkansas tight end who was <laughs> – um, they said that the, he and the team mutually parted ways. Chad Morris came out and said that. That was after the Alabama game. Apparently, it wasn't a mutual decision. He was just kicked off the team. And he actually, O'Grady said this at the combine and it kind of raised some eyebrows. Like, whoa, 
um, said he was banged up a little bit after Alabama and said he just didn't want to come in for a workout. And then that was apparently the last straw. And they're like, hey, you're gone. And he, he came out and admitted that. And he said, look, I've, I've matured since then. I've learned a lot in the last few months. Obviously, that's what he's going to say when you know that's being reported. But good yeah. for him for recognizing the importance of getting that out there. Because if all of a sudden you find that out about somebody and it's like, oh, actually, he was kicked off the team. Because teams are going to find that out one way or the other. Yeah. That That's always going to get out. I give him a lot of credit for for being willing to do that. There are still major questions about him off the field. That's been no secret throughout his time at Arkansas. The talent is there. Like he, you saw that play where he just like had six dudes draped all over him, and he had that like long sixty-two yard touchdown where he just like, okay, this is George Kittle esque what he's able to right. do right now. And I think CJ O'Grady, CJ O'Grady is going to have some sort of a market. Can he impress enough at the combine to convince somebody to maybe take a day two flyer on him? We'll see. You have no thoughts on CJ O'Grady. Okay, you're no, waiting I for the good I stuff. No, I don't. I don't. What do you want me to say on CJ O'Grady? I don't like. I don't. He's care. got a great I, name. He, he's great yeah, name. He, sure, he's got a great name. This kid, he had every chance that he possibly could have to get it right in four years at Arkansas. He didn't get it right. Five. Now he's got to go. He's five. He's he's lucky, in my opinion. I, I'll go off on CJ O'Grady. Fine. Oh. He's lucky that he he's lucky that he doesn't he he that he wasn't buried more in the tight end like. You know, depth chart or ranking list, I guess that they have going into this offseason because I think Jared Pinkney's a guy I would take way over him. The kid Albert O from Mizzou, I would take over both of them. But yeah, I mean, like, dude, if like transfer out, you've given you've been given every opportunity now from the NCAA. Leave. You were a grad student. Leave. If you if you're not getting along well in Chad Morse's offense, which that offense sucked anyway, then just go. That was way more <laughs> yeah, than I thought I, we were gonna get out. That's of all that I have to say about CGO Great. I just I get tired. Like I hate going into the combine. Now my throat hurts. I hate going into the combine when it's like this stupid crap. These like afterthought players that are like you had five years to get your shit together. Excuse my language. Will bleep it out. But like you had five years to get that together, and then you did it, and then now you come in and it's like, well, you know, I've matured. You've matured what in three months? No, I don't buy it. Like you, you like. The NCAA, as bad as the NCAA is, they've given you all these different avenues of how to get out of these terrible situations you're in, and you were in one, and you decided to stay in one. And now, when it's convenient for you, and you have to, like, you know the weirdest part about this whole thing is? He has to go, and they and, and be like, I'm C.G. O'Grady from Arkansas. Barely. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. Marla, have you matured? another time I say the, F- the <laughs> S word. Have you matured a lot in the last three months? In the last three months, I'd probably digress. I don't uh, know. Yikes. Regress. Uh, um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I feel, I feel fine. I, I like who I am. I've, 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 I've definitely matured a lot since I was twenty-three, which a lot of these kids are, and it's like, I couldn't imagine having to be like under scrutiny at that age. But this is just kind of at this point, like, dude, if you're that, if you're that close to millions of dollars, suck it up. Suck or or like, I don't know. Like, I don't just suck it up. Just suck it up. Jake Fromm's got a hairline that looks older than 23 years old. Um, there you go. My God. <laughs> I'm interested to see what happens with Jake Fromm this week because... He's going to go bald. He, oh, you mean might, this oh, week? Oh, yeah, he might go bald. I, I'm, I'm watching that hairline really closely. Is he going to do a little bit of the salt and pepper thing? Is he going to get the Rogaine involved? I don't know. How is he going to look next to... Joe Burrow's not going to be passing, but how is he going to look next to guys like Justin Herbert and Jordan Love who have... Uh, pretty much unanimously been considered better prospects than him. How is he going to stack up? Because a lot of people have questioned the arm talent. They looked at the season that he had, and they said, you know what, he regressed. This is not the first-round prospect that he came into the year as, and we have questions about him moving forward. You get him away from that system, and all of a sudden you get to see him at a different kind of stage. Now, I'm not saying that he's automatically going to look better, but I do think that there's potential for him to make people say, oh, 
you know what? Actually, the arm come the the way that it, the ball comes out of his arm is is a little bit different than I thought when you see it in person. Yeah. And I think that he's going to be able to impress some people for sure. But the bad news, his hands are less than t- are less than nine inches. So I'm sure, yeah. He just turned around and walked yeah. home after that. <laughs> um, I, I, why aren't they doing that that hand lengthening thing that people I, like? Kyler Murray did it with his whole no, body. His whole body, yeah. Um, oh, we never talked about that, did we? We didn't talk about the Greg Robinson thing on here because we missed it from the time it was. Oh, uh, 157 pounds of weed. You got some takes <laughs> on that? <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time. Um, no, the Fromm thing. Fromm is what he is, man. He's a second round pick. He's not. He's not somebody that should go late round. In my in my opinion, he, he's a not guy Aaron Murray. Went, he's not Aaron Murray. He's not. He's not Aaron Murray. But he's not far from Aaron Murray, in uh. my opinion. He's. Yeah, they, they look the same. They're what six feet, six one. Murray's five eleven. They both have small hands. They have a similar arm strength. They it, one of them actually put up actual good numbers in college. The other one did not. One of them played as in you know the national championship as a true freshman. I'm just throwing that out there and too. lost the game. So uh-huh. there's that. Whatever. I mean, I like I just I, I don't think that he's I, I like when you when you stand him next to Herbert, he's gonna be five four inches shorter than Herbert. He's gonna have a third of the arm strength as Justin Herbert. And then you stand next to uh, to Love, Jordan Love from Utah State. He's not anywhere close to being the athlete. I don't think he has the arm strength that that kid has either. And then so he's gonna be somewhere on the far end. You know, like he's not even like a, a common, you know, a happy medium between him. He's gonna be on, he's on the outside looking in with both those guys, and and so what? What does he have? And not, neither one of those guys had five star players to throw the ball to. I'll agree to disagree on the Jordan Love thing, and that's somebody who has a Jordan Love notebook in my kitchen right now because Utah State. That means nothing. It means everything. It means everything. I am biased towards Jordan Love because I see his name every day when I write on a little notepad in the kitchen. Does he have a better arm than Jake Fromm? He has a better arm than Jake Fromm. Who am I taking is to have? Is he a better athlete than Jake Fromm? Yeah, he's a better athlete. Who has better intangibles? So, give me Jake Fromm. Give me, what, give me what, are, what are his intangibles? The ability to diagnose the defense. Look at Jordan Love and, and what he did against elite competition against LSU. Yeah, uh, not just against Look LSU. Look what Jake Fromm did against LSU. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I would say that there are a lot more examples of Jake Fromm actually playing against quality competition. Teams like Florida as opposed to Jordan Love, who, don't get me wrong, like you yeah. could be a good group of five quarterback. And I know I've hated on Josh Allen as a, as a draft prospect in years past, but I think that Jordan Love showed major, major issues in terms of reading defenses, especially against better competition. But that's a different that J- take for a different Do you think that Jordan Love could have had one game, just one out of his last four in college, that would have been over 50% completion percentage? Against Including who? Georgia Tech. Who's, against who? Georgia Tech, Auburn, Florida, and LSU. Do you think he could have had one game over 50% completion percentage? Because Jake Fromm couldn't. He didn't have one game over 50%. No, look it games. up. Those four games, look it up. Because remember, I brought it up. I said Jamie Newman ended his his career with four games in a row where he had less than fifty percent completion percentage. And so did Jake Fromm. Well, that just craps all over my argument, doesn't it? Because college stats are college stats are everything. Apparently, um, I'm holding on to hope that that Jake Fromm goes <laughs> yeah, to the Bears. Jake Fromm's the best, round. and Georgia's going to win the national championship. This is everything you're saying is right. Give me Jake Fromm. Jake, Jake Fromm to the Bears in the second round is what I'm holding on hope for. Even though there's, <laughs> oh, there's no way it's going to happen. It's you better happen. hope that they don't they don't try to draft him at all because they don't do a good job drafting quarterbacks. That would just seal the deal. Well, well, this could be the first. He needs to go to somewhere like the Patriots where he can succeed. Jared Stidham. Kind of occupying a, a little bit of a, a spot cool. there. So you think Jared Stidham's better than Jake Fromm? My how the the table. Uh, no, I'm just saying in terms go. of the way that they value. Him. All right, the different discussion. Let's go to our interview with Chuck Smith, a guy who you've gotten to know pretty well over the last couple of years. Somebody who. Oh, I hold on, hold on. Before we start, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was wrong. It was five games, not four. That's my fault. That's my fault. 
Minus just the bowl once. game. It was, it was five games in a row. I apologize, guys. once, I want a flawless transition. That's it. That's it. One time. <laughs> one time. Just where you, you don't have to interrupt me 10 seconds in and be like, oh, actually, I had this other thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my bad, go. Chuck Smith is a guy that you have gotten to know very well over the last couple of years. It was great seeing him bust your chops about all things TV, uh, your suit game, your takes. Uh, it was great. It was just great. It was like a two-on-one battle that we had for a little bit. It was fun. I was actually, it was more like a one-on-one battle that he was winning, and I was just sitting back in the audience just kind of clapping and, and cheering yeah. and rooting for him. You were the guy from the the, the savage meme where like, oh, I think both hands on his face. Yes, that was me. Was that was me. Yeah. Uh, but it was great to catch up with Chuck, somebody who knows so, so much um, about the just the pass rushing game and the industry and really what he's been able to build the last couple decades. In hindsight, I really, really should have let him tell that Trump story at the end. I really, yeah. really should have. That's a, that's a teaser for you. So let's go to our interview with Chuck Smith. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Chuck Smith, a.k.a. Master Pass Rush Specialist. Chuck, we want to get into some stuff on, on your area of expertise, obviously, which kind of is self-explanatory. But I've got to start with a very important question. Chris's suit game on a scale of 1 to 10 is what? <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it right now to one to ten. I'll put it like as a three. But what? it'll be listen, he will move up to a seven if he learns how to tie a freaking tie. <laughs> his tie is always crooked and the spacing in between where the knot is, man. But now his suit game the way it looks, the suit game is on honestly eight, but the tie game is like a three. Beautiful tie, but he'll know how to tie a tie correctly. That pocket square game, though, is like at an alt. That's an 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's the pocket square is an 11. Look, Chris, you became G'd up now. I ain't going to lie. You became G'd up. You know, I would get your tie together on the show. But you know, man, you, you, you look good. You came a long ways from that, that first uh, little, that little, little people jacket you had on the first show. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get into the, the actual the questions. So, the jacket was so tight. Bro, that you couldn't even button it up. Bro, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe for the first first month but, I was on TV. I just sat there and just hold my breath. But you took the show to another level, man. You did. You did a great job. I appreciate that. Well, let's let's get into something as me and you talked about several times throughout the year. Um, so you had to remind me that not to get too bogged down into the stats, because as you put it, I was a little bit of a stataholic. But what is a stat or maybe a metric or something that is you think is important when it comes to evaluating these def- defensive end talent as we get into uh, the NFL draft talk? Production. When you look at defensive linemen, you want production. To me, how many times they get a guy off the spot, that don't matter as a pass rusher. You are paid and you get money by sacks. Guys in college are the best players. Chase Young gets sacks. So to me, people, all that other stuff, oh, he uh, affected the quarterback. Man, what does an effect mean? I affected him, he threw for a touchdown? All that doesn't <laughs> matter. And to me, that's where guys, you know, put the analytics and all that. I mean, there's certain things, again, don't listen. All the analytics are for coaches whose teams just suck and they can't rush. That's it. They got every, you can find every re- all analytics are is reason that you that you're giving guys excuses to why they're not doing what they're supposed to. Pass rush is about sacks. They don't evaluate you during the year. And say why he had 20 pressures. Nope. They say JJ Watt has 10 sacks or whatever, 
And that's the difference, man. That is really the difference. With the combine coming up here, I want to dig into to your background. You know, your your nickname, yeah. Doctor Rush, which is, by the way, yeah. a nickname I'm super super jealous of. Um, obviously, you were a stud at Tennessee. You played for the Falcons. Like you, you essentially though have since dedicated your life to developing the art of pass rushing. Explain to us how exactly you got into this field. Oh man! Um, number one, I live a pass rush life from the time 1978. I watched the Super Bowl with Pittsburgh versus um, the L.A. Rams. And um, and I watched Jack Yumbler playing this game with a broken fibula. And those guys, the Rams were great pass rushers going against the Steelers, and they had great pass rushers. So at that time, man, I fell in love with pass rush. It was, I think I was, what, eight years old? So subsequently, man, I watched it. I loved it. And um, as I moved forward, all, I started my company in 2001. I was the first ever to start the trend. I was deep at the line university. Then, uh, you know, a lot of people came after that and, uh, you know, it's continued to grow. So um, I just kept training guys, man. I kept training. I was training, developing guys, working with coaches, and, uh, you know, from 2002 to Ford, all those different things. And then um, so in 2002, I saw I was watching TV. I saw this quarterback guy. It was on Inside the NFL. If y'all remember how long ago that was on HBO. Um, it was a guy named Steve Clarkson, and he was that became a quarterback guru. They're talking about this new trend of, you know, NFL consultant. And I was in, I was on injured reserve at Carolina in my ninth year, uh, sitting on the couch, me and my wife. And she said, "Wow, babe, you're doing that for defensive linemen." And I was like, "Wow, yeah, babe, because if the number one position is quarterback, well, number two has to be pass rusher." So 2002, I started my company, and here I am now, you know, um, 18 years later, and that's uh, how it all started for me. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, the crazy thing, too, is, like, so you going to Tennessee, and, uh, I mean, I'm sure you heard about Reggie White throughout your time there and have since heard a ton about Reggie White. You two have the best nicknames, I think, ever, Dr. Rush and Minister of Defense. I mean, that's probably not a coincidence. What's what's your best Reggie White story that you have? Oh man, yeah, Reggie White. So I had um I was a JUCO transfer from Northeast Oklahoma, A and M JUCO. Um, so I was a Tennessee signee in eighty eight. I had to go to junior college for two years and I went back in Tennessee in nineteen ninety. But when I got to Tennessee, there was a fraternity party, you know, it was a sixteen kegger, <laughs> it was a dogwood festival. <laughs> You know, I was drinking uh, Big Mouth Mickey's and Little Heineken and a Little uh, Boone's Farm liquor, I mean, wine. So I went to this party, man, this fraternity house, and I got into a fight with a, uh, a guy, right? And um, so I ended up subsequently breaking his jaw. And so, <laughs> I mean, literally. Oh, <laughs> why y'all laughing? That ain't funny. This is and good. I love it. I love it. It was a sad time in my life, so I break this dude's jaw, right? I mean, the next day, you know, Johnny Major was my coach. I mean, he's I had to come up to the office. The police, you know, I got arrested. They came. I had to turn myself in. So all this, you know, controversy. You know, I'm in the – I mean, I haven't even played a down yet at Tennessee. You know, I'm just this Juco guy. So I'm in trouble. They suspended me off the team. So I'm walking into the complex. I'm leaving the complex after Johnny Majors and those guys had – suspended me and I had gotten in trouble and all that stuff. And I was leaving out. Then the first time I ever seen Reggie White, Reggie was coming in. 
So Reggie was holding out that year with the Eagles. He was training at the uh, the Nayland Sports Center with Tim Irwin, who's a judge now, but played with the Minnesota Vikings forever, offensive tackle. So as I'm coming in, Reggie was like, "Hey, check it, you check his sniff, you know, in his raspy voice." And he's like, "Man, I just read about what you did, son. You know, but man, everything gonna be all right, man. You evolved for life, man." And that's how the evolved for life thing started. And uh, Reggie said that to me, and I subsequently gave it to Dooley. And then when we, um, when I got there, so that's a story, which that's the part that's of the story cool. a little bit. But I love that. So, yeah, so Reggie White, he was like Chuck. Man, I said, I said Reggie, will you, you know, teach me pass rush man, and you know, help me out as a mentor, things like that. And he said, Chucky, I want you. I'm a me and Sarah are gonna come pick you up in front of the dorm, and if you go to church with me, I teach you pass rush. So. <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the steps like six in the morning, you know, in front of our, you know, back then we had a, uh, you know, all athletic football dorm, and um, so all of a sudden around the corner came a long white Mercedes Benz, the old school Benz, but it was new back then. I mean, it looked like it was about eight feet long. So it came around the corner, and I got into the car, man, and we started a relationship forever. We went to church, and man, I want to tell you now, you know, Reggie was gospel. Man, Reggie was kicking it up there. I mean, he he was they was getting live in there. I mean, they was dancing, you know. So, and uh, you know, ever since then, you know, we we were close. From the time he was in Philly, we ended up having the same. I signed with the same sports agent with him that I still work with today, Jimmy Sexton from CAA. Um, oh, yeah. So Reggie was, uh, you know, led me to all that man, and I was around. He was always my mentor, and it was pretty awesome that I got to play a year with Reggie in Carolina. And, you know, he would come down here when I was in Atlanta. I used to host a Monday Night Football. I used to work at V103, and I used to do Monday Night Footballs. I was a part of a morning show back in 02 that was there. And I used to do something called Big Monday Night Football, and i bring NFL guests in. You know, I had, like, Peppers, Patrick Kearney, um, and Reggie White was one of the guys. That, you know, he died at 42. So, uh, subsequently, I've kept a relationship with Sarah, and um, I'm actually working on – you know, uh, award in the NFL, the Reggie White Pass Rush of the Year Award. But, uh, you know, there's some copyright and, you know, <laughs> intellectual property stuff built around it. But, you know, Reggie's the guy, man. So that was my that's my best Reggie White story. Holy cow, I'm glad I asked that question. That was, awesome. <laughs> that was really good. That was awesome. Um, these guys this year in this class who are trying to become the next Reggie White, Chase Young, as you already mentioned, Caleb on Chase, and uh, the group of pass rushers is, is loaded what are what, who are some of the guys that you're working with, and who what what exactly kind of stands out with them? Well, what stands out, you know, with Chase Young, his ability to use his moves, explosiveness, um, change of direction, all the things he does with his hands. He's well coached with Coach Johnson, Ohio State. Chasing, uh, you know, he's uh, he's solid. He's not spectacular. He's got um, he's got work to do. He doesn't have really many moves. He's you know, kind of like a, a young deer out there just kind of getting after just athleticism. I mean, there's some guys out there, man, that are really good pass rushers. I like Ken Law. I'm really high on Ken Law. Um, <clears throat> I think he's super raw, but I think Ken Law has a huge upside, and I think in, he fits right in any defense because he's disruptive. And, you know, I mean, there are a few of them out there that are pretty good. I love I love uh, Chris, your guy, Terrell Lewis. He's uh, going to he be – uh, I'm predicting rounder but uh he'll have a lot of value and um as long as he stays healthy but he's uh 
I mean, he looks I mean, he's uh, looking really good now, you know. So there's a few guys. I mean, like, I'll tell you, Sleepers, another guy from Bama, uh, Anthony. Um, what's Anthony's last name, Chris? Jennings. Yeah, Anthony Jennings. I know I worked with him for a week in Bama. Hey, my bad. <laughs> you know, I had a few hits in the head, man. I did play in the league. You good. Um, but he's a sleeper. He's the type of guy I want the Falcons to get. Will, linebacker that can rush, but uh, – you know, there's a lot of them out there I like. Let me tell you, I can't even remember his name. Let me tell you the biggest sleeper in this draft who might be the best pass rusher on the level with a Chase Young. This cat from Utah, I don't even know his name. I was just watching film on him. This edge guy from Utah, y'all can do the research. He's a beast. I don't know, man. I don't even know his <laughs> name. I was just watching film. I'm not training him or yeah. nothing. But uh, it's, a, it's a good class, man. But uh, I think Chase is the one that everybody's kind of, you know, jumping up and goo goo gaga. But. I'm not as high on him as most people are. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So um, you got to go through the recruiting process this year um, with your son uh, this this season, as well as like a deep run in the high school playoffs. What was that experience like yeah. for you as, as both a father and a former player? I think initially it was excitement, but I think towards the middle it was uh, stress. It was uh, hard because you get it's the emotions of it, you know, when you're trying to get recruited. There's a lot of uh, questions that can't be answered depending where you are in the process. If you're a five-star, it's different than my son who is a three-star, two, three-star. Um, it's anxiety, man. It's tough because, I mean, there's the level of recruiting has gotten so high, you're, you're always on the go. It's like being on – it's like driving a car 100 miles an hour trying to chase a dream that is dictated by so many other people. You know what I'm right. saying? So, man, it was great. I learned a lot, even as a dad, and I've been a recruiter. But I looked at it, man, it's, it's good stuff. You get to learn. I got to spend a lot of time with my son. But then on the other end, man, there's so much stuff involved in it. Remember, these are 17-year-old kids, you know, and they they have a dream. So I don't, I don't think from the coach's side and the universities, they're as sensitive. But I think, you know, when you look at it, you have an opportunity to get a scholarship. And it worked out for my son getting a chance to go to Walford. But I, but I just think, man, it's just, I mean, it's just cutthroat, man. It really is. It's yeah. a lot of hustle and bustle. It's a lot of, you know, cheating. It's a lot of, uh, I mean, here's a bad, see what I'm, here's where it went bad. In the beginning, it was just all about the kids. Now you got the mentors. You know, now you got the, the guys, the mentors are really the hustlers. Then you got the runners. Then you got the parents who are hustlers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then you got. So you got guys that sell gloves and guys that have camps. And guys, <laughs> I mean, guys that guys that put two hundred kids on the bus and just travel around. You know what I mean? It's just it's just overwhelming, man. You, we ain't talked about all the. I ain't talked about the recruiter guy who you know what I'm saying is charging right. fifteen hundred dollars. So whereas I know all about that, man, there's a lot of bad information out there, and there's a lot of parents that is for every for every Miles Murphy you see that's a five star that's doing great, man. You have a lot of tragic stories man the kids that depressed kids that struggle family you know what i mean because they get to the end and they don't know where to go so people don't hear them stories but for my son ultimately because i know the you know kind of know the game it worked out you know what i mean but dude it's, it's a fight it is a challenge man and chris i hope y'all get a chance to go through it because um it's something man isn't it but you know the best part about the process it's over I'm just telling you, man. You ask anything. Listen, even ask the stars. Even my guy, listen, even my top guys that are in high school, I'm telling you the best. Listen, 
the happiest days that parents have, even the five stars, when it's over. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting thirty-five texts a day every day? Can you imagine getting the calls, tweets from hundreds of men like Chris? <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, I can, can imagine. You imagine? Can you imagine a guy tweeting you every day like, "Hey, man, this is Chris Marler from." You know, Saturday down stop. I want to know. You know, roll, tie, roll. You know what I'm saying? So it's so many, it's so many things that come into play, man. So it's crazy, bro. It's crazy. I, I tell you what, so we and we talked about this a lot this season, Chuck, and it's and recruiting has gotten out of like I don't I don't want to say out of hand or out of control, but it reached I'll say new heights this season, and and you touched on yeah. it so well and so eloquently. How how does that aspect of college football get fixed? Because you're a guy that. As you said, like you've been through it as a now a player, you've been through it as a father, yeah. and you also were on that side of it as a as a coach and a recruiter. Like, mm-hmm. how does it get fixed? What's the first step? Well, I think how does it get fixed? Me personally, I don't think it's going to ever be fixed. I just think it's going to yeah. get worse because now you got the NCAA that's willing to break on certain things, and you know what I mean, like the rules, because they've lost somewhat of the power. Because the big conferences are like, okay, we can really pressure you into doing what we want to do but i think individually there there can be some um a little more class about it like here's a good example if you're a coach chris you're you're being recruited mm-hmm. chris and a coach is recruiting you and he's and he says he's giving you an offer why don't you just call the kid back coach and just say hey man we're not going to take you instead of going silent which is well known right they just don't call you no more and then the coach, then the yeah, player keep calling, keep calling. Okay, now the parents, the parents would. I, okay, Chris. Now say I'm gonna use you again. Just keep listening. I'm gonna roll with you. So say, Chris, you're the player. You got your whole family. They're being recruited by your group to tie. Now your parents end up, and I'm the coach. Now the parents, I don't call the. I, I'm calling the player every day. I'm calling you every day, Chris. Recruiting you, and as they do the family. So as I continue to call you, the one day I don't call you, the player says, "Well, you're not on my list no more. You don't love me. What? You ain't called me that one day." These college players are making coaches have to walk behind them and kiss butt, beg them to come to the university. And I always tell these these high school kids, "Would you want your dad to have to beg somebody just to see him?" These players got so much power because the guys at the university, they got it the way they keep their jobs. Now they're in a position where the players control it. The, player, the high school players control the flow. So what happens is they're, they're out of pocket. Now another, So that would change if the parents would just have some kind of humbleness in class because you don't have to do that. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to make these grown, you make grown coaches beg players. They beg them. They be, please, you coming on through? You coming through? You coming through, man? Yeah, come on, man. Just stop through, stop through Knoxville. Stop, you know, stop, stop through Oxford. So the parents are also in it. Uh, it'd be nice if they just, just, just do it the right way. Treat people how they should be treated. You know, right. you got the mentors, the little guy at the high school who says he's the uncle, or the guy, you know, what I'm saying who does the the recruiting deal. He puts false sense of he gets money because he, you know, gets involved in it and. So, you know, that guy's most of those guys are cutthroat. You know, man, this is this not going to change. You got the big companies doing the camps. You got Adidas. You got Nike involved, man. They all know what's going on. So everybody knows it's a, it's a, it's a system that is flawed, and it started with the coaches 
It started with the parents, and then you start throwing in that big money. You know what I'm saying? Now, shoot. I mean, kids go places just because they got better swag. <laughs> Think about that kind of kid. How he's, I mean, he's got better swag. You know what I mean? So I don't think it'll ever be fixed. I think football is life in America, and I just think you just got to learn. You're a hey, man. We're in a war. You're part of a you're part of a war, and you got to learn how to fight to survive in it. And it's called football recruiting. Yep. All right, Chuck. I want you to I want you to put on your your teacher hat for a second. Let's pretend yep. that instead of a twenty nine year old college football podcast co host. I am just a 15-year-old kid. I walk in your door. I'm 5'8", 175 pounds, you know, max squat, 315, <laughs> sick brag, no big deal. Um, and I say to you, I say to you, Dr. Rush, turn me into a pass rusher. What's your first move? Well, my first move is probably uh, you probably want to make sure you study hard because the percentages say you're not going to get a scholarship. You're 5'7", <laughs> you're 165 pounds. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you. You probably should stick to your education or maybe consider going into the military. Whoa. <laughs> Chuck, I'm 175, not 165. Chuck, I, I feel like that needs to be on record. I appreciate oh. that, bro. Yeah, like 175. <laughs> Dude, you said you still said 165, 175. What the hell? I mean, uh, you know, that's only 5'8", man. Though. All right, well, let's say you're 6'2", 240, and you want to become a pass rusher. The first thing I'll look at is your commitment to being to being trained at that high performance level. I'm not looking at athleticism. I'm not looking at 40. I'm looking at your, number one, do you have an aggressive type of manner that's willing to get out there and push yourself to be the best? Because pass rush skill training is not just going out there slapping bags and running around. It's a high performance uh, skill that has to be taught and there has to be hours and hours and hours. If you don't have that commitment, that's going to kill you, right? Now you got to be able to uh, you got to be able to um, hold be able to translate information that I tell you. Every 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 different move has a different every different. Hold on a second, man. I know he's got to take more time to think about this because my. Sorry, I guys. Think, Somebody, I'm sorry, guys. Y'all no, that's fine. I, off, I'm a know. deep evaluation. We're in, we're in the real fine. world. Y'all know. So, no, what, um, <laughs> so then I, then, y'all funny. So, I would, um, number one, I would teach them how to, you know, first thing is I work on their vision, right? I improve their eyes. So, if I want to improve my get off and be quick off the ball, I got to have trained eyes. I got to have great vision. Then I have my system is VGHH, vision, get off, hand tips, the four key components of developing a pass rusher. And that was what I, those are what I live by. First thing I want to have vision. I want to develop their eyes. How do I improve my hands and using the gets off of the lineman? I got to see it. I got to see them. Everything start with eyes. Then the next uh, component is get off. I teach them how to get off. I teach them to get in a front loaded pass rush stance with your ass up, hips forward, vision, get off. Then I work on their get off. What push foot to press off of. Um, you know, how to get your hips forward. Um, then I work on So we start with vision, get off. Then the next one, I work on their hands. I want active, violent hands. One of my goal is to create hands of mass destruction. So I teach you things like this. Where should my thumb be when I chop? You know what I'm saying? Uh, what, what, why do I strike the elbow and not the hands when I'm using my hands as weapons? What is a side scissors? What's a slap rip? So those are the kinds of things with the hands. So now we talk about vision. We got get off, we got hands, and the fourth key component of my BGHH system is hips. 
I want to have fluid change of direction hips with low center of gravity. So hips, all these things work in conjunction together. together. So every pass rush move has vision, get off hands and hips, has one of those components in them. So I teach them that system, and then I have a I have a uh, 24 high-performance skill drills, eight are vision, eight are get off, eight are hands, eight are hips that I use continuously to develop a pass rusher. And in between there, I'm a movement coach. I'm developing movement. All those different things develop movement. Then I put the knowledge in them as a pass rusher. We put it together, and that becomes a spin move. That becomes a cross chop. That becomes a bull rush. That becomes a long arm. So it's a, it's a progression that you take as you develop a pass rusher and just like a school curriculum, you sit down, you learn A, then you know after A comes B. So and that's kind of how it, the progression works as a developer, a pass rusher from scratch. So, Chuck, what you're telling me, though, is that 6'2", 240, that's got to be the first thing. Otherwise, none of that stuff matters. You need that Marler <laughs> size, bro. Yeah, I know. Cricket, Chris is thick. Chris is more like a junior college nose guard. That's kind of where he sits Ooh. in, like thick, <laughs> like so what is he, Chuck, five, I'm 10? down 17 pounds since we stopped recording, bro. I know. I'm like, I know they're probably going to be like, man, Chuck Chuck is hard on Chris. But you know what? Chris is hard on Chuck when he's at the studio. He's, listen, you gotta know, Chris yeah. cracks <laughs> more jokes than anybody. So I figured now that I got on his platform, Chris. And so look, so now y'all interviewing me. When Chris has the mic, he leads the conversation. Now, now y'all <laughs> ask me questions so I can crack on Chris. I appreciate it. I need, I need it every once in a while. Um, all right, listen, we're going to get you out of here with this last part. This is, I think it will be your favorite part. Um, you talk what? about eyes and how important it is. And as somebody that has four of them, me, uh, I think I'm ready for this <laughs> last event. It's, just, it's called two-minute drill. It's, it's just ten okay. rapid-fire questions. I don't want you to mm. be like me or like how Bob is when you ask him a question, be long-winded. You just, you just quick, first you. thing that pops I in your you. mind, ten questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, but at the end, man, y'all can give up my YouTube, Twitter, and all that stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I had to say that now for y'all. Because you know how y'all get when you big time, you get to the end and just cut a brother off. Say, okay, thank you, man. We're, we're running out of time. <laughs> we're going to promote all that, I promise. Um, right, but first and foremost, we're going to put two minutes on the clock. Here we go. First question, favorite show to binge watch? Uh, power. Okay. Um, best type of Girl Scout cookie? Um, uh, mint. Then mint. Okay, I like that. Um, okay, next question. What's a bucket list concert you want to go to? Oh, little baby, the baby. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, by the way, you know. Okay, I like that. I like that. Best football movie of all time. Uh, Re Re remember the Titans. Okay. Good answer. I like that. That's a good one. Uh, favorite day of the week: Taco Tuesday or Sunday Fun Day? Oh, Sunday, fun day. That's NFL day for me. Like that. Uh, okay, here's, here's a real one. What's the best wedding advice you can give me? Because I'm getting married in like 60-something days. Uh, be transparent. Okay, I like that. Um, listen, I know you used to freestyle back in the day. I've seen the videos, and like you said, we are going to pump those <laughs> out later and give you a shout-out. What If you were a rapper, what would your rap name be? Uh, Chuck, chill out. Oh, okay. That's this really one's going to be, this next one's going to be a little bit tougher. If I was a rapper, what would my rap name be? Um, Chris the Miss. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, just, I didn't know what um, else to say. <laughs> one, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard, not just uh, from you, but from anyone, is when you said last year, 
Popeyes or Chick-fil-A is like a picnic. Popeyes is like freaknik. So the question I have for you is <laughs> ch- better sandwich, Chick-fil-A or Popeyes? Oh, I say Chick-fil-A, man. Popeyes don't play it out, man. That thing is so nasty now with all that extra hot sauce on it. Chick-fil-A stands up, man. Chick-fil-A is chicken Chick-fil-A is Atlanta, man. Popeyes is like New Orleans. All right. Well, speaking of Atlanta, this is the last question. Who's going to okay. get to Atlanta and win the SEC in 2020? Give me your 2020 SEC football champion. Uh, Georgia. All right. Well, that's going to be a huge deduction, and you already knew it before you said it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just that's tough. Let me add this Georgia. up real quick, Chuck. That, that is 69 points, man. That's a good score. Oh, nice. That's a good nice. score. How did y'all measure points? I mean, y'all had points? It's not real. It's, yeah, not it's real. not real. It's like, who's like, <laughs> hey, man, DJ, so, yeah. hey, DJ Chuck, chill out. Used to be my DJ name. That's a DJ from casting back in the day. Yeah, there's a DJ Chuck, chill out. That's a real DJ name. And Power is a show that comes on. Y'all haven't seen that 50 Cent uh, I've seen Power. Power. I've oh, seen okay. Power. I'm just checking. No. Oh, y'all, when don't, I said just, it, I was like, you know, okay. Don't judge me because my haircut. Mm-hmm. I've seen Power, Chuck. You know that. <laughs> um. I'm not judging. I know you got flavor, man. Shoot. We, hey, I'm going to tell you something else that's good. 90 Day Fiance. Uh-huh. I've been watching these shows. I'm, Chris, yeah. what's that one that you told me? What's the one that you created? Y'all, it was oh, called shoot. Cheer. No, one you <laughs> Cheer. I told you to watch Cheer. <laughs> yeah, you did. I watched a little bit of it. and uh, You know, we only watched a little bit of it. You you kind of overhyped it. <laughs> Chuck. Cheer is good. Cheer is good. Cheer is good. Okay, well, but, but real talk, all jokes aside, tell everyone where they can find you on social media, on YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Um, promote yourself okay. and, and all that because we appreciate you coming on here, man. All right. So, everybody, go to um, – you can find me on Twitter at ChuckSmithNFL. And uh, you can follow me there. You can follow me on Instagram. It's long, right? Chuck Smith Training Systems. Like Chuck Smith Training Systems. All right. Now, here's an important one for right now. At YouTube, Chuck Smith NFL. All right. I got 982 followers. All right. So I try to go YouTube live. You gotta have a thousand followers to go YouTube live. I need y'all. We'll I need get you eight more people to follow me. Do it, guys. On YouTube live. All right, I need that. Okay, I'm YouTube live, and uh, you can go to ChuckSmithTraining.com if you want to see more about what I do on uh, my website. Also, I have videos I sell on the website, so ChuckSmithTraining.com, and you can you can get a hundred pass rush videos at a low cost. Nice. Nice. Chuck, we appreciate you coming on. We'll have to do this again real soon. We'll, we'll just either talk Reggie White stories or like Marler getting ready to go on TV stories. Uh, we'll oh, my man's got some stories. Uh-huh. That's He's got good. some real good stories. Uh, y'all got to hear my Tupac, Shakur, and my Yup, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get Hey, I got help. Remember, I'm from the 90s, man. Come on. Ooh, man. I'm <laughs> rocking the 90s, man. I got some stories. We're going to come back. We have to come back on here. First off, I'm going to come up there and do some training, and then we're going to bring you back on yeah, before the NFL same. draft, and we'll, we'll bring the Tupac thing. That's cool. And hold up. This is how I know I'm going to get y'all to call back. I got to tell y'all my Donald Trump at the Playboy Mansion story. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yikes. He, he wow. wasn't always the president. He wasn't always the president. He used to turn up. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Wow, Chuck I can't believe man. we're signing off with that, Chuck. This was this yeah. was awesome. Mm-hmm. Now we are absolutely having you back on really, really soon. Mm-hmm. We'll be in touch. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks, dude. All right, guys. Thanks for the time, y'all. Yep. Take care. Appreciate it, Chuck for coming on. We absolutely need to have him on again. <laughs> after goodness, what if all of our guests did that? They they left with a story of like. 
I got to tell you about this one time that that Obama and I were yeah. at, at the bar. Like, wait, well, what? Well, half our audience wouldn't listen to it anyway. But then also on top of that, what I will say is this: they had with Chuck that TV show was the best part about it. And this used to drive me nuts because we'd be like, hey, we got we got like three minutes to kill. Like, what do you guys want to do? Like, what what, should, what topic should we talk about? And it was like, well, let's talk about the Falcons draft stock or like or the, the Falcons draft hopes. And it was like. Why don't we just let them tell a story? Because I would hear these stories like him, Bob Whitfield, Terrence Mathis. Bob Whitfield, he owned like a record company like back in the day. I think still does. He turned down Outkast. What? Oh yeah. He but he also. I'm not going to mention names here, but one of my man, one of my one of my dudes on the show was also the reason behind the song No Scrubs. And and oh yeah, it like it was the, the stuff I learned from them. It was Scrubs. incredible. It was it was so much fun, man. They were a blast, and they uh, can't say thank you enough for Chuck for coming on. They um, they I mean they just they you gotta think, man. They played with they played with Andre Risen, who was dating Lisa Lefty oh, yeah. Lopez from TLC. They played with Dion Sanders. They played with Goldberg from like the WCW days. Like they they played with some absolute. They played with uh. Um, T. Bob Aber's dad, what can't, Billy Joe, what's his name? Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy Bob. Thornton. Anyway, they played with some. They played with some absolute absolute characters, and um, it was just wild, man. This is just some wild stories. Definitely gonna have to have Chuck back on very soon to recap a lot of those different things as well. All right, let's go to fourth and wrong. We've got movie edition. I put all these questions. Well, in. first and foremost, I do want to give a shout out to Texas Pete. You just have to constantly talk over my transitions. It's the worst. I just can't believe you. See what I did there? See what I did? Um, So Texas Pete, giving a shout out to our our friends at Texas Pete. Um, Since I've been sick, you know, it's it's been nothing but a chicken soup diet. And thank God there's something to put some flavor in that mess. uh, Because there's nothing worse than condensed condensed soup. But it's not so bad when you have your good friend at Texas Pete. And like I said, guys, Texas Pete, it's a full-on staple of... The wedding diet, and I can tell you right now, we're finalizing the wedding menu. It's going to be a full-on staple of the wedding itself. If you have not already gotten us a gift, we're registered all over the place. One place we're not registered, but you can definitely find some stuff for us. Kroger, Publix, uh, Whole Whole Foods. Little Wind Dixie. Little little Wind Dixie. uh, Little little Piggly Wiggly. Ooh, I love the pig. Go down, go down to any one of those. Ingles. If you if you live in the middle of nowhere, you got an Ingles around you. Go on down there. Get us some Texas Pete. We would love that for our wedding. So, moving on um, to Fourth and Wrong. It's, it's, it, I'll let you take the lead on this. It's a movie oh. movie edition. All right. This first one is from Michael Dark or Darky. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your sure, name. Sure, it's not that second one. It's probably not Darky. Probably just Dark. Probably just Michael Dark. Yeah. That's a cool name. <laughs> what movie scared you most as a child? All right. There's two scenes from movies that scared you the most as a child. Because um, I didn't watch a lot of scary movies. Nor did so, I. one, here's a movie you've never seen, but in Hook, when they come home and, and there's like, like, like they, they go, they, they're out at the time. And so, like, the kids are upstairs asleep and uh, all these, like, lights start, like, flickering and, like, it's like everything's, like, like shaking in the walls. And then all of a sudden, like, the little hook knob is just, and it, like, it goes up. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's there. And the door shoots open. Um, yeah, so that part was pretty scary. And then, I don't care how this sounds, the scariest person, scariest mf or ever, 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 ever in any movie, especially if you grew up in the 90s, was Christopher Lloyd in Dennis the Menace as that homeless man who was eating an apple with a switchblade and eating, eating canned baked beans out of like a Costco-sized thing of beans. Terrifying. 
Can't say I, I, I can relate. You've never seen Dennis no, the Menace? I've seen Dennis the Menace. I saw it when I was like six, though. You're a loser. Okay, that's that's fair. What is it? What is it with this music and movies that just gives you the right to crap over all over everything <laughs> I say? Go you listen. You haven't that, seen Hook. Go listen. You haven't seen Hook, and you won't even go see Hook. I listened to John Party. No, you. Didn't. I heard beer. No, I, you... I heard beer twice today. Yes, I did. Okay. It was fine. Okay, it was fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna actually go sit down when I feel better and listen to full on John Party because I owe I owe that much. Yes, to you me. do. And there's other there's other people that I trust more than you with music that have said it was pretty good. Well. <laughs> Thanks. That makes me feel great. Appreciate that. <laughs> I didn't really watch scary movies as a kid, but the, yeah. the the show that scared me and everybody who is a child in the '90s can relate to this. It's Are You Afraid of the Dark? That, oh, that was, was terrifying. That was as much yeah. as far as I would go. And I don't remember the specific ones, but I definitely remember watching that, being like, "Well, I'm just not going to sleep tonight." That's yeah. That's that's gone. That's not happening. Tales from the Crypt was tough. If I feel like I watched that like once or twice. Mm, let me see that. That's that was, but yeah, you're right. Are you afraid of the dark? I, I wouldn't watch it. No, I wouldn't like. I was, that would I scare me now. To in Patty's house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't say that. But uh, no, I think I think it would. I really do think it would. Have you seen Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It It wasn't bad. I wasn't like, I, but I don't. I just don't like scary movies because at some point also we we trans, we went on from like it being like oh this is scary to like hey here's as much terribleness you could you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I, I never liked the Saw movies growing up. I yeah. watched them like, why do, why do people want to watch this? What, what joy do you know. get out of this? I don't, I don't get yeah. that. Um, scary movies, not for me. Number two, this is from John Eric Diekman. This is a question that I think a lot of people have asked. Why is Ginny in Forrest Gump the worst character in a movie? Victoria F. <sighs> she, she's not in a movie yet, but she probably will be soon. I don't think that she's the worst ever, but she's in the running for it. Now, if you're just looking at this strictly from the standpoint of, of Forrest, which is, man, this is this woman should be just like, they should be together, obviously. Like, yeah. he would treat her well. There's no doubt about it. Like, this is the person that, that you feel like was meant for her. They grew up together. She stood up for him all those times. And she still turns into just like awful person, right? That that's hard to watch. That's really really hard to watch. But she doesn't directly impact being like. Okay, I, I can think of I can think of worse. Like the worst character, like one of the Harry Potter movies, like Bellatrix Lestrange. She's awful. She is the worst. She makes me hate everything. Um, I think that. Jenny is bad, but you can always do worse. Like, she's not killing people. I mean, she's just a bad person. Yes, she is. <laughs> she's literally killing people because she had AIDS, Connor. I, okay, well. <laughs> yikes. We're going on that road. <laughs> I'm just saying. She definitely did. So is There's she the no worst? Way. Is she the worst? <laughs> no, I've said this, and I will always stand by this. Grandpa Joe from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh. I've said this. I've said this since 2012. It's one of the first bits I ever wrote. This is the worst person in the history of movies. He is such a lazy piece of crap, and then all of a sudden, like a little piece of chocolate, his his legs start working again. I can't imagine how bad that entire room they lived in smelled i don't know why whoever put that house together was so bad at feng shui they put this giant ass bed right in the middle of the room makes no sense his mom's over there cooking laundry soup for three three hours a day for this entire family and then he doesn't move until it's like time for him to possibly go win millions and then he almost blew it 
The only other one that's even close to being that is the McAllisters from Home Alone. I'm glad you went there, yes. Because here's the deal. Not only do they leave their kids at home, I, I stand by this, like, if I'm a homeless person, okay? If I'm a homeless person, I live in New York, and it's cold, and it's the 90s, I'm probably doing crack, okay? <laughs> it's the 90s. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. With just the, the way that the statistics worked in the 90s, it's 1993, yeah, I'm probably dabbling in some crack if I'm homeless in New York. Now, here's the issue with that. If you, if this pr- crackhead, possibly, who hangs out with pigeons all day, saves your life. Well, saves your okay, life, let's not assume that she's saves a his crackhead. Life. That's unfair. Okay, no, just listen to what I'm saying. But this this homeless lady that's hanging out with pigeons all day, not a crackhead, just a homeless lady hanging out with pigeons all day. Yes. She saves his life, and he's like, hey, by the way, lo and behold, everything worked out for me and my family again. We'll bleep it. Everything worked out for me and my family again. And so we're just sitting here in the penthouse suite at the Plaza Hotel just hanging out. And we got to go have uh, all these free presents that were given, that were supposed to be given to a toy drive for for needy kids. You took all of their presents. You and your crappy family got to open up all those presents. And what do you give? What do you give the homeless lady that saved your life? You run outside and re-gift her turtle dove Christmas ornaments. And let me tell you some one thing before you t- before you go off. The worst gift you can ever give someone on Christmas is a Christmas ornament because it's like giving fish. It's like the shelf life on that is like three hours tops until you, it's, it's useless again. The question was, why is Jenny and Forrest Gump the worst character in a movie? And we have transitioned into a place that, you know, even I who talk about, I talk about Home Alone 2 a lot, I'll be honest. Like, too much. Too much. I did not think we were getting to that point with that question. It so got, you didn't even say Michael who, Dark. Who's, the worst, who's the worst character then, ever? Grandpa Joe, without a doubt. How do we get to Home Alone 2 then? How does... Or, I just, I'm spouting off at other people I don't like. I'll tell you another one I don't like, the cop from Lawless. He was the worst. He was also bad. Okay, all right. I think there are a lot of people in Die Hard who are pretty bad, too. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Third one from Bradley Zane Zemanek. I just said that Billy fast. Billy Zane. Yeah, Billy Zane. Uh, what movie are you embarrassed that you've never seen that people always talk about? Mine is not Hook. I am not embarrassed that I so haven't stupid. seen so, Hook. There are other people in the Facebook like it. There are other people in the Facebook group that haven't seen Hook. I haven't, said, I haven't said that I won't see Hook. I will see Hook gladly when it is convenient. I saw Die Hard when it was really convenient. Yeah, when I put it on for you at Christmas. Exactly, exactly. I'm not. I'm, you're not coming to the house until you see Hook. Why, why can't I see Hook at your house? Well, well, I'm just letting you know right now. You have all the. You just order it on demand. I got one four percent on my phone. Let's do this. Okay, Star Wars is that movie for me that I've never watched all the way through. And you know what? I'm a little bit embarrassed because it's such a big part of pop culture and all that. But really, yeah. I'm also not that embarrassed because I have tried to watch it on two separate occasions. One as a kid, one as an adult, and I was asleep in like five minutes in both of them. Yeah, I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen Harry Potter. I don't really care about either. Um, I. Like, I, my mom is a big Star Trek fan. I've already told you guys why I'm not a Star Trek fan because it's just the trauma from having to watch the next generation on Saturday nights instead of football. Um, yeah, I guess that, that one's for me. I don't really care. Um, I think that's probably the only, I haven't seen The Green Mile. Is that bad? I don't know. Another Tom Hanks movie, I guess. But Yeah, it's supposed to be pretty good. I, I told Allie, I was like, I haven't seen The Green Mile. We should watch that. And she's like, no, I don't want to cry for three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, I don't know any other ones that I, I mean, I, I, for the most part, I got, I got into this last week. I saw Parasite. Did you watch that? Haven't seen it yet, no. So it's really good. I thought it was really good. I didn't see all the other movies, so I don't know how to judge whether it should have won 
Best Picture or not, but I was a little bit discouraged that the amount of people that were like, I'm not seeing Parasite because it was from <laughs> South Korea or whatever. And it was like, it's a good movie. Just read the subtitles. Count on your summer reading list. It was, it was, it was good. Last one here. You said you haven't seen Harry Potter. This one is from Steve Potter. Definitely related mm. to one of the Potters. Um, what's your favorite black and white movie? Mine is, and then there were none, which is just an all-time great black and white movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. And, I mean, it's a classic. It's a wonderful life. I mean, who doesn't like that movie? Uh, I've never seen that. Really? Um, oh, okay. That's yeah. that's one you need to get on. Black that's more egregious. That's more egregious movie. than Hook. I guess. It I is. I mean, black and white. Um, like really old. I'm trying to look it up Miracle right now. Miracle on 34th Street. I've oh. seen that. That was fine. Black and white. Um, Citizen wait, Kane. That's a good one. What are you talking about? Citizen uh, Kane. You don't know what Citizen Kane is? I know what it is. I just haven't seen it. I don't really... Um, wait, what What about... I've seen Psycho. That was pretty good, I guess. I, I honestly I don't know black and white movies I don't know that is a uh, don't say V for Vendetta that doesn't count never seen it um, oh American History X I guess I I didn't like that movie I mean Schindler's List is probably the easy is the easy answer for me I've seen that and it was is it I, I mean it, it it was it won Best Picture it was a very intense movie but it, like I remember seeing it I don't I don't like I'm trying to think of any other movies that have been in black and white that we have. You know, you know what? The closest thing I can tell you that I've seen that that was like a black and white movie for me was, um, what do you call it? What was the movie with uh, American Beauty? American Beauty, and the reason why is because it was one of the first movies I ever saw where like the color, the colors of the movie affected the mood of the viewer so much, and oh, that was the whole point of the movie. So it was like as bland as things were, it was like black and white and terrible and it's very bland. And then as things were picked up for this guy's life, then it became more and more colorful and the colors and the music and everything like that, it, it kind of, uh, it affected you and affected the viewer. So I would say American Beauty is the closest thing I could say to like, I don't know, that or Schindler's List, I don't know, whatever. All right, positive movies all around. Um, there are a lot of movies <laughs> on there. American Beauty was great. There are a lot of movies on there that people were throwing out that I'm like, I have never seen this movie. I've never seen this movie. A lot yeah. of great stuff thrown out in Fourth and Wrong, but um, should I, I have looked at the Fourth and Wrong question? No, no. I was, I was, I was happy to do it. I was happy to do it. Um, God, let's end with it. Might mean too much. Real quick here. Um, so I didn't know this until I went out to breakfast uh, over the weekend. Um, well, yeah. like like I mentioned, I didn't realize uh, with with a bunch of our listeners, I didn't realize that Georgia fans would shell out like over a hundred bucks, like hundred fifty bucks for fake student IDs to go to games. I learned that via Kelsey and Emery, who Kelsey got Emery um, a, a a fake ID, a fake student ID. I think she paid like hundred fifty bucks to go to the twenty fifteen Bama Georgia game, and. Ultimately, if she could have that money back to not experience that day, maybe. I don't know. Um, it was a great day. But, yeah, people had different thoughts about that day. But that, that to me, is, is crazy. The, the thing, though, that she said is, like, well, we don't really pay that much for student tickets at all. It's like $8 per game or something like that. Yeah. Um, but still, the thought of shelling out $150 for a random student's ID, not, not a fake ID, and just using it yeah. for, like, one game, to me, is just bananas. But I bought one for the 2004 2004- Georgia Tennessee game where they were both in the top ten. Georgia was, I believe, ranked third, and Tennessee was because uh, the, the score ended up being nineteen to three. Uh, I think James Banks caught a touchdown pass, and Tennessee won. And it was like it was like not a great day. It was like it was just not a lot of fun. But I bought one of those for one hundred twenty five dollars, which at the time uh, I don't know Market was roughly value. like eighty percent of my net worth. Jeez. So I was like, 
I was like, yeah, yeah, sounds great. We'll do that. And then the guy took my money and, and ran off, and I knew something was wrong as soon as he did because he like literally sprinted off. Yikes! And it was it was fake. It was not. I couldn't get in with it. Oh boy! So I had to go buy another ticket. It was awful. That was a waste of money. Um, yeah. The it just meant more that we are going to be recording on Friday. Spurrier's last Bama game. Auburn, 2012. <laughs> nope, nope, not doing that. Spurrier's last game at the Swamp, 2001, against Tennessee. One of these weird games in this rivalry where they actually played in December. College game day was there. Florida had national championship aspirations. Going to be a really fun game to look back. The pageantry that went with Spurrier's final game at the Swamp, all those different things. Huge, huge game that I cannot wait to dig into because I only have vague memories of that. I'll be 100% honest because I didn't grow up with that. So... We are going to record that on Friday, TBD on when that comes out. Marler, Facebook Live, we're doing that Monday nights. Mondays. Okay, mm-hmm. Monday nights before The Bachelor, which is coming to an end. Go listen to Roll, uh, Roll Bride Roll. That's not your Bachelor podcast. Roll Bride Roll. That's Yeah, there it is. Rose, Rose Bride. Bride Roll. There it is, close enough. Um, make sure that you're following us on all forms of social media, at the SDS Pod, at Burn Funquist, at CJ O'Gara on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at Saturday Night on South. Follow us on all of our great basketball content. We've got baseball content up on SDS right now. Shout out to our guy, Joe Cox, for taking care of that. Marler, Coach Joe, <laughs> Cisco, Matt Luke. <laughs> What do we I need to we got that one guy covering all the baseball stuff. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's doing it, some college stuff. It might stuff mean too much, guys. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>